Good morning, everybody. Um, it's delightful to be with you all this morning. And well, let me just say welcome to anybody who's arrived since uh, Tim gave the initial welcome. Um, it's lovely seeing uh, so many in the building and outside and hopefully others joining us at home uh, as well. Um, that's, we're going we're gonna to come to God's word uh, this morning. Um, and I'm always just kind of really aware for me, and I'm sure the same is true for you, there are so many things that can distract us uh, from hearing the word of God, things around us, uh, but also often things inside us. And so it's really important, I think, and good that we, we pause and ask for God's help to really pay attention uh, to his word as we come to it. So let, let's pray together uh, as we, we come to God's word. Father, we are uh, so often so aware of things that can distract us, um, things that have happened in the past week, things we're planning to do next week, things we're worried and anxious about that are weighing on our minds. Um, Father, we're also aware that we have a spiritual enemy who does not want us to hear the word of God because the word of God, when it's planted in our lives, will bring us alive with Christ. Um, and so, Father, we want to pray in the name of Jesus. Would you protect us from the enemy who wants to distract our minds and our hearts? And would you help us in these moments to lean in and pay attention uh, to the things that you want to say to us by your word and by your spirit? Um, give us minds and hearts that are open and receptive and ready to be obedient to the things that we hear from your word. Give us faith as we listen to the word of God. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so for those of you who don't know, we're, uh, we're uh, going through a series at the minute where we are uh, looking through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, looking for the message of the gospel, looking for the good news. And we're finding that no matter where you look in the Bible, that that song of the good news can be heard. Um, and as Tim said, we're coming this morning to uh, one of the most beloved uh, chapters in all of Scripture. Uh, so I feel a little bit daunted and a little bit excited uh, to get to read this with you uh, this morning. Uh, but kind of as a, as a lead-in to get there, I want you to come with me to a desert road outside Jerusalem. The date is AD 35, roughly, somewhere around that kind of time. And as you watch on the desert road, a chariot approaches. You can see the cloud of dust as the chariot is coming. And then maybe, if you imagine this like a movie, the camera zooms in inside the chariot. And inside the chariot, there's an Ethiopian man who is reading a scroll. He's reading a book that is, at that stage, already hundreds of years old. Um, but he, is, he has become fascinated by the religion of the Jews. He's been to Jerusalem to, to investigate the things that the Jews believe. Uh, and he's reading this scroll and he's trying to understand what he's reading. And then suddenly, as he's going along in the chariot, there's a stranger who appears alongside the chariot, running, trying to keep up with the chariot. And he shouts to the man in the chariot, do you understand what you're reading? And the man in the chariot confesses that he doesn't. And he invites the stranger to come and sit with him. And they read the scroll together. And when they finished reading together, the 
Ethiopian man says this. Um, he says, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And that's kind of going to be our key question. Uh, maybe if you allow me this kind of little bit of whimsy, I want you to, I want you to imagine that you and I are in the chariot riding along and we're reading this ancient scroll and we're trying to understand it together. And the key question that's going to be in our minds is, who is the prophet talking about? Is it himself? Or is it someone else? And we're going to try and help each other puzzle, puzzle it out uh, together. So we're going to read. Uh, we're going to read the whole uh, chapter. We're actually going to read a little bit at the end of Isaiah 52, and then into Isaiah 53. Uh, this is the passage that the Ethiopian was reading on that chariot in the Book of Acts. Uh, but we're going to read the whole longer passage. It's maybe worth saying as I come to read it. Uh, this is slightly longer than our normal readings on a Sunday morning. Um, so I'm going to read it relatively fast. Um, but I really want to encourage you this week, this afternoon, later this week, go and read it slowly. <laughs> um, if you can, find a quiet place and read it aloud, which is even better, I think. Um, this passage is poetic and prophetic. And I think that means it doesn't unfold all its mysteries at once. You won't understand everything at once, but every time you read it, you will see new things and you will discover new things. So we're not going to get it all on a first flyby, uh, but I really want to encourage you, find some time alone with the Lord this week um, and read it slowly and maybe read it, read it aloud. Let's read uh, from Isaiah 52, verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? 
for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I find as I started to read it, I couldn't read it too quickly. Uh, You can't rush through uh, a passage like that. Um, And again, like last week in Psalm 51, um, in some ways I want to say as a preacher this morning, uh, if you forget everything uh, that I say this morning, uh, take this beautiful passage and go and soak yourself in it this week and listen to what God wants to say to you uh, through it. Uh, but our question is this, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? Uh, let's, as we ride in our chariot, um, investigate together and try and puzzle this out. Uh, and let's kind of look for clues to what is going on in this passage. Uh, So let's observe some things. This figure, this man, this person uh, that is talked about in this passage. Uh, Let's look at some clues. First of all, he looks ordinary. It says in verse 2 of chapter 53, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. So immediately we're being told he, he wasn't one of the beautiful people. You know there are people in the world who are just uh, made of different stuff to the rest of us. And when they walk in a room, everybody notices them because they're so handsome, beautiful, strong, healthy, vibrant. You know, and everybody notices they seem to have different genetics to the rest of us. But he wasn't one of those people. He looked unremarkable, an ordinary human man. There was nothing remarkable to make him stand out in a crowd. He looked ordinary. Um, Second thing, as we're looking for clues, is that he is rejected. So this is something more than just being overlooked or ignored because he looked ordinary. Um, The passage describes him as being actively despised and rejected. People look down on him. People hold him in low esteem. He is in some way an outcast and an outsider. Um, so there's our second clue. He looks ordinary, but more than that, he is actually despised and rejected and cast out. And then the third thing is this, is that he suffers. Um, and to say it like that is kind of a, a an unbelievable understatement. That That is kind of the overwhelming theme of this passage. And many people have called the character in this passage the suffering servant. Uh, and the prophet piles up term after term after term to describe his suffering. And you can notice the words as you go through. It says he is stricken, he is afflicted, he is pierced, he is crushed, 
He is oppressed. Um, at one point it actually says in chapter 52, verse 14, that he, he was barely recognizable as human because of the suffering that he had gone through. You almost didn't recognize him as a human being. And of course, famously, in verse 3 of chapter 53, it describes him as a man of suffering and familiar with pain. It was so much a part of his story that he almost is given that as a title. In the old translations, it calls him a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It's an extraordinary thing to be written over a human life. This is a man of sorrows and of incredible uh, depths of suffering. And so there's a few clues to kind of get us started. So if we ask now, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Well, maybe so far we might say it could be so many people. Because I'd suggest many, maybe most, most people in our world are ordinary looking. There are only a few who are the beautiful people, and the rest of us just look ordinary. Um, there are many people in our world who experience rejection. Um, that's all too common an experience of being an outsider and an outcast. And there are many people in our world who experience suffering. And at any given moment in our world, there are some who are suffering the unbelievable depths of suffering, extremes of suffering. Right now in our world, there are some for whom this is their reality. This is a common shared human experience. And maybe in your story, in your journey, you've experienced a little bit of that. Uh, maybe some of you are walking through it right now. Um, so, so far, we're, we maybe are getting some clues, but we... Uh, it could be one of many people. This is a common human experience of suffering. So let's go on and look for some more clues. Um, the fourth thing is this, is that he suffers for the people. And you can see this language all through the passage. This one man suffers for the many. And you can look through the passage later and notice that theme all the way through. I'm going to use a big word with you now. At this point, his suffering is what, what people sometimes call vicarious. It is suffering on behalf of others. He doesn't just suffer for himself, but for the people, for the many. It says in verse 4, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Are we any closer at that point to identifying who this is? Suffering is everywhere in our world, but what about, what about that kind of suffering? Maybe I'd want to say that kind of suffering is more unusual. But still, this is something that we see in our world. It's part of the, the uh, strange beauty of the human story. There are people in our world who are willing to suffer for the sake of others. And maybe you think of a, a soldier in wartime, or maybe you think of a parent's love for their child, or maybe you think of friendship at its best. But every day in our world... In small ways and big ways, there are people who are willing to suffer for love, who are willing to suffer on behalf of another, uh, on behalf of someone else. And so maybe the story is getting more unusual now, but still um, we're maybe no closer to knowing who the prophet is talking about. But this is where I think it starts to become much more strange and unusual um, and clearer maybe in our looking at the clues. 
So here's the next clue. He not only suffers for the people, but he suffers for the sins of the people. He suffers for sin. Um, And again, I want you to go and look later on and see how many times this is said in the passage. Let me read a few of them to you. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Verse 6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8, for the transgression of my people, he was punished. Verse 12, he bore the sin of many. Now this story is getting stranger and more interesting um, and more unusual. His suffering is for the sins of the people. And there's a final thing, a final piece to our clues, which is that, that his suffering somehow brings peace. Um, right at the very heart of the chapter that we read, there are two beautiful words that I think are the heart of the good news according to this passage. And it comes in verse 5, where it says that his suffering brings peace. Uh, that's the, the Hebrew word that we talk about a lot, shalom, which means wholeness and well-being and fullness of life. So somehow this man's suffering brings shalom to the people, to the many. And then there's a second word uh, that's kind of parallel with it, which is that it says that by his wounds we are healed. The two words go together. It's to- not just talking about physical healing, but a deep healing of our human nature and of our human hearts. So somehow this man's suffering for the people brings shalom and brings healing to many. Now, let me ask our question again. Who is the prophet talking about? Um, Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? You're not allowed to phone a friend at this point. Um, (laughs) um, who, who is the prophet talking about? Um, I think at this point, as we're gathering all the clues together, we should be shaking our heads in puzzlement and amazement because we started with something that maybe was a shared picture of common humanity. There are many people in our world who suffer. There are even many who suffer for love and suffer for others. But who on earth can bear the sins of another? in a way that brings shalom and that brings healing to the depths of their nature? How can that be possible for one man's suffering to bring shalom to many? Um, So where are we in our puzzling? Um, Well, let me go on. Uh, This is one of the most powerful passages in the Hebrew scriptures. And so um, you can imagine all through their history, They watched out for this man. They came back to this passage again and again, and they looked for this man to appear in their history. And every now and again, people appeared who fulfilled parts of the picture in Isaiah 53, but no one fulfilled it all. And so they kept watching and they kept waiting. They kept lifting up Isaiah 53 and and scanning their world. And then, you know where this is going, but then one day, A child was born um, and grew up in the backwaters of Galilee. And there was nothing remarkable about him. Uh, At first glance, he was just the son of the local carpenter. And so 
Whenever he started to preach and strange claims were made about him, people laughed and scoffed and said, isn't that the carpenter's kid? And can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because he'd grown up before them in an ordinary human way. And eventually, he was rejected by pretty much everyone. And the religious leaders condemned him and the crowd called for his blood and the soldiers mocked him and spit on him and they took him outside the city, which is where you threw away the rubbish that wasn't wanted. And they pierced his hands and his feet and his side and he was cut off from the land of the living and he was buried in a rich man's grave. And it looked like, to all intents and purposes, Another tragedy among so many in our world. It looked like another awful story of human violence and human suffering. And even if it was suffering for love, it still looked like a terrible tragedy and a terrible waste. But then something strange happened or something even stranger. His followers who had been in hiding came out of hiding and they started to spread the message that he was no longer dead and that death in the grave had not been able to hold him and that his death had somehow broken the power of sin and death, that he had somehow taken on himself the sins of the world. And now they said forgiveness and peace, and that was the word that they used, and life were freely available to anyone who believed in his name. Let me show you how one of them expressed it as they went carrying that message into the world. One of his followers said it this way. He said, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, you are healed. Wonder do you hear the words of Isaiah 53 being echoed there in the words of 1 Peter? Uh, now being applied to the man on a cross on a hill outside Jerusalem. Who was the prophet talking about? It wasn't himself. It wasn't any other figure that turned up in Israel's history until this moment. His name is Jesus. I've held back till now to say it. You knew that's where we were going. And of course, the claim that his followers made was the reason that he was able to bear sin on behalf of the world, was that although it was true that he was truly human in every way like us, except that he was without sin, it was also remarkably and astonishingly true that he was God, that God himself had entered our broken human story in order to bear sin and to make peace and to bring peace and to offer peace to humanity. Um, so there's our, we've gone on a little bit of puzzling and trying to ask that question together and we've got to the answer. Um, so do we pack up and go home? Uh, what do we do whenever we've solved the puzzle and we know that the answer is Jesus? Um, and I guess really simply this morning, I want to suggest that the answer is this, is that we turn our face towards this man of sorrows. Um, it says in the, the passage that people at the time turned their faces away from him. Whenever you and I realize who he is, our response is to turn our face 
towards him, to look deliberately towards the man on the cross, to fix our eyes on Jesus, as the the writer to the Hebrews says. I wonder if you ever noticed how many of our hymns encourage us to look to the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, I, I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me or behold the man upon a cross. I want to encourage you that this morning, and not just this morning, but every day, the best thing we can do is to look to the man on the cross. What, what is the promise at the heart of the gospel? It's the promise that's at the heart of this passage that if we look to the man of sorrows and don't turn our face away from him, but put our confidence and trust in him, he will take our sin and our suffering on himself and he will give us instead his peace and his healing. Let me ask, is there any one of us here this morning or watching online who does not need that peace and that healing? Doesn't need the shalom of God to be restored in our minds and our hearts and our lives? That doesn't need the deep healing that only he can give? I want to encourage you, turn your face to the man on the cross and look to him. If you ask him, he will take your sin and he will give instead this gift of his peace. And it's not just about glancing at him for a moment, but it's about learning to live with our eyes fixed on him. So the cross becomes the center of our lives. And Paul says in Galatians 2, in a verse that I love, says, the life I live in the body, the life I live in my body when I get up every day and have my breakfast and go to work and live with my neighbors and live with my kids and uh, all the things that I do, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying, my whole life is reorientated around the man of, the man on the cross. Um, but just as we, we get near the end, um, I want to ask you maybe a strange question. Um, if you and I are people who learn to live with the cross at the center of our lives, and therefore with the, the man of Isaiah 53, the man of sorrows at the center of our lives, what kind of people will we be? Because maybe we're wondering, will that make us very sad and sorrowful people if we live our lives with this man of sorrows at the center? What kind of song will we sing as people whose lives are centered on the cross? Um, I wonder how you would answer that question. Um, as I've been puzzling over it, this is maybe the answer that I want to give. Is that when we look to the cross, it's right and proper to feel sadness and sorrow. Because often, and I'm sure you've had this experience, when we look at, at what Jesus did for us on the cross, we, we often feel the weight of what Jesus suffered and we feel the weight of the suffering of humanity and we feel the weight of the world's sin and we feel the weight of our own sin and of our complicity in the suffering and sin of the world and Maybe we sing, it was my sin that held him there. And so often as we look at the cross, our heart might be pierced by a kind of sorrow and grief 
And I want you to hear me say that is right and healthy and good that we respond like that. But I also want you to hear me say this, that it's also important that we don't stay in that place of sorrow. We can become, we can even develop a kind of spirituality that becomes very sad and solemn and serious all the time. And we can even think that we honor Jesus and say thank you to Jesus by being really glum and feeling really bad all the time. And so can I say something a little bit directly? (laughs) Jesus did not die on the cross so you could spend the rest of your life feeling bad and feeling sorry. That is a place we often need to visit as our, our heart is pierced by the weight of our sin. But the gospel moves us through sorrow and into joy. And even in this passage, Isaiah 53, that is full of sorrow, we can still see it. I wonder, did you notice it as we went through? Right at the beginning, it says about this figure, this, this suffering servant, he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. How about that for a trilogy of words? He will be raised, he will be lifted up, he will be highly exalted. And so you and I have got to remember he's no longer on the cross. He has passed through death and out the other side. He has been raised. He has been lifted up. He has been highly exalted. And now he's calling us to join him in that resurrection life. And so whenever we look to the cross now, we look always through the lens of the resurrection. And so there may well be a moment of sorrow, but there's also this movement towards the joy of the resurrection. And I love, there's a couple of phrases that come late in the passage that we read, where it says this. It says, first, he will see his offspring. Do you know who that is? (laughs) Have a look around you. (laughs) These are his offspring. Those who have come to faith in Jesus and come into the family of God. Um, He will see his offspring. And then it says, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. I think that's an extraordinary statement. Jesus suffered beyond anything we can imagine, not just the physical torture of the cross, but bearing the weight of the sin of the world. It's beyond our capacity to understand. But can I tell you this this morning? Jesus believes that it was worth it. He believes that it was worth it because he has seen his offspring and he has seen the light of life. He has seen that his suffering brought you healing. He has seen that his death brought you life. He has seen that the darkness that he passed through has brought us light. He has seen that his sorrow that he walked through, as immense as it was, has brought us joy. And he is satisfied. He believes it was worth it. And so if you and I want to ask, how do we show that we're thankful for all of this? I want to say it's not by going around with long faces feeling bad. There's a place for confessing sin and feeling the weight and all of that. And we talked about that a lot last week. But we show that we are thankful by entering into the fullness of all that he has won for us and living in the good of it, living in the good of the peace that he won for you and the healing that he won for you and the life and the light and the joy. It says in the book of Hebrews that when Jesus endured the cross, do you know why he did it? He did it for the joy that was set before him. He did it, like we said last week, so that his joy could be in you 
and so that your joy could be complete. And so, of course, as we look to the cross, our hearts may feel the weight of sadness and sorrow and sin, and that's right and good. But as we continue to look at the cross, the cross itself will lift up our heads and lift up our hearts and lead us to rejoice. That's the movement of where it takes us. And so as I finish, um, I'm getting carried away. But I, I think our old songs get it right. I was thinking about a couple of our old hymns. They move through feeling the weight and the sorrow, but then they move to praise and to joy. They say, he took my sin and my sorrow. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. and He suffered and died alone. You feel the sorrow of that? You feel the weight of that? What's in the very next words say? How marvelous, how wonderful, how marvelous. And my song shall ever be, how wonderful, how marvelous is my Savior's love for me. There's another old hymn says, man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. What's the next words? Hallelujah. What a saviour. Um, there's an old man in our church when I was growing up. And he, I don't think I, well, I'm sure I did. But I feel like I never heard him get to his feet in our church without quoting that hymn. And it was always on that last line that his voice broke. He felt the sorrow. He felt the weight of all that Jesus had walked through. But it was the joy of what Jesus had won for him that caused him to weep. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Let's pray together. And then we're going to sing in response uh, to what we've been thinking about. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray. Um, I want to pray if there are any of us here this morning um, watching online who have never lifted our eyes to look in faith to the man on the cross. Father, we want to pray that this might be the moment and this might be the day. Um, Father, we feel um, often the weight of our sin and the weight of the sin of the world. We feel the weight of the suffering of our world. We feel the weight of our complicity and the part that we have played. Father, I want to pray this morning you would help us to believe this astonishing story that in Jesus of Nazareth, you have come and taken that weight on yourself. And that what's being offered to us this morning in the name of Jesus is peace, is peace with God and the healing and the restoration of all that's broken and messed up in our hearts and our lives and our world. Father, help us this morning to lift our eyes and look in faith to him. And I pray that there might be some this morning who receive and experience that peace and that healing for the first time. And that for all of us, uh, this might be a day when we enter more fully into all that Jesus won for us on the cross. Help us to live in the good of it. Help us to live with deep thankfulness and gratitude for all that you have won for us. Um, and Father, I want to pray 
that every moment and every day of our lives, the song that would be in our hearts would be hallelujah. What a saviour. Amen.